0: hey there thank you so much for clicking on this message today I wanted to take a minute just to introduce myself my name is Jean-Michel and together with my wife I lead Collective Church you're gonna hear a message preached from one of our Sunday services and I really pray that it blesses you today so thank you again for clicking on and enjoy the sermon. man amen, amen I'm excited church because today we begin a brand new series And that series is all about our culture code we introduced this last week and we're going to be talking about it for the next upcoming few weeks we're going point by point through who we believe collective church is we have eight points on that list and every one of them is part of who we are and what we do as a church And so as we do this, I believe that we're going to get a direction and we're going to go together into where God is taking this church. Eight statements that define the heartbeat of who we are. As we explore these ideas, I'm asking every one of us to adopt them into our hearts and into our lives. The whole point of all of this is for God to unify us. To make us effective in bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world we have a community here if you just look around in Buclue and in Woodmead and in Waterfall and Midran Sunning Hill around us there are thousands hundreds of thousands of people that need the message of Jesus and it's us that are going to take it to them right It's not going to be anyone else. If we leave it to someone else, it's not going to happen. God has brought us here together on purpose because he wants to use us to impact this world. And we spoke about this at crew night with all of our volunteers, with our full crew. We had an amazing night on Wednesday night. And we were talking about how we are a collective. The point of us being called collective is that it's not about a leader or about one specific person. It's about you. It's about me coming together, bringing what we have and letting God use our unique gifts and talents to impact this world. And so I want to inspire every one of us to see ourselves the way God sees us, to see ourselves as powerful, to see ourselves as effective, to see ourselves as ministers in our workplaces, in our families, in every aspect of our lives, to see God using us to impact this world. It's not up to just one or two people. But when all of us do what we can, when we bring what we have, God grows us. And so this is what we're talking about. This is what we're jumping into. And today we explore number one of our culture code, we are authentic. Everybody say with me. We are authentic. All right, this is number one, right? And we, um, all these statements are we are statements. Because it's not just about me individually, you individually. It's us And so I want to read a scripture as we jump into the message today. It comes from Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 9 from verse 9 to 13 says this. And as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said to him. And he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor. But the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a powerful, powerful scripture. It's not just a powerful scripture, it's a challenging scripture, right? It comes straight into who we are, into all that we stand for, and it says to us this is God's heart. This is the heartbeat of who God is. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is where we're going to start today. This is where our journey starts from. When we talk about being authentic, we've got to start at who Jesus was. You know, Jesus knew who he was, he wasn't confused. He wasn't led left and right by people all over the place. People had a lot to say about who Jesus was, but he wasn't interested in what people had to say. He knew who he was, and he knew that God was his center. But the thing is, all the religious leaders of the time did not recognize who Jesus was. We know this, and it's one of the saddest things, actually, that we see is that the Pharisees, teachers of the law, the ones who are supposed to be close to God, when God arrived in front of them, they completely missed Him. They couldn't even understand who Jesus really was. And in fact, they don't just uh, reject Jesus as Messiah, they seek to kill Him. They seek to get rid of Him. When God stands in front of them, they seek to get rid of God. That's crazy. But that is religion. That's what religion is. Religion in its easiest way of being defined is man searching for God. Man trying to make himself worthy of or good enough to be with God. God. And you see it all over the place. There is this hunger and this need inside of every single human being to be with God, to have a connection to God, to be close to God. And it results in so many aspects of of spiritual ideas in this world. Some people find that spiritual connection in art, some people find it in music, some people find it in their families, some people find it in nature. But the problem is, it never satisfies. What this world has never satisfies and that need never goes away. The world needs God. We all need God. We need Him. But we gotta recognize who God is. Sometimes we're looking for God and we're not finding Him because we don't recognize His heart. And as we open today, I want to engage you with a thought this world is changing in fact this world isn't changing this world has already changed it's already changed generations are moving on and each one is changing as it goes I myself am a, am a millennial whatever that means or an exennial I don't know I'm right on the edge of millennials so I don't I don't quite fit in with everybody and I remember years ago there was this there was a, a whole lot of freaking out happening because people didn't know how to engage with millennials. They didn't know. And they were leaving their jobs and quitting all the time. They, were, they, they had five or seven different career paths going on all at the same time and they were never satisfied and everyone in the, in the, the workplace was, was freaking out. Big business was freaking out. How do we keep these guys? How do we make them happy? And at first it was, well, let's put a beanbag chair out and a pool table. And for a while it was good. But it wasn't enough, right? And people were trying to understand millennials. It actually came down to this idea that millennials were looking for meaning in work. And if the job didn't have any meaning in it, they were out. And I get that. I understand that. You know, I've devoted my life to church, to God, because I know how much meaning there is there. And that's millennials, right? And we thought that was hectic until Gen Z came around. No one understands Gen Z at all. Now, the funny thing is, my wife is Gen Z. Some things are beginning to come clear now, I understand. (laughs) And I am not, right? <laughs> no, we, we're so similar. And that's funny because, you know, these are all ideas that, that fit in certain people and certain people it doesn't. But Gen Z came around and it was like an alien race. I remember having that experience in youth because all the, the younger millennials, right? So I'm an older millennial. All the younger millennials were teenagers at that time. And I could relate to them. I had a lot to say to them that made sense to them. But then there were these younger guys. They were like 11, 12 years old. They were just starting to come to youth. And then they were 13. And then they were 14. And I was like, who are you? What are you? Nothing I say makes sense to you. And then I was like, okay, cool. Carmen, it's yours. You you deal with this now. (laughs) I can't do it. I'm joking, obviously. But we had to try and figure out how to speak to a new generation. And you know what the scary part is? Gen Z... Is now in their mid-20s they're about to be the families and the backbone of this whole planet and gen alpha which is even more crazy and un- understandable are all about to be teenagers the Lord is coming back soon I'm joking no it's gonna be great There's nothing wrong with any generation at all. I believe it's God-breathed, it's beautiful, and it's ready to move forward. This world has changed. It's not the same anymore. It's different, and we have to engage with that or we will be left behind. Come on. The church has to be the most relevant, the most influential, the most powerful organization on this planet because God created the church first, We are his people, man. We are God's people. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is not peripheral to the world. What does that mean? It means that we don't follow the world. The world follows us. That's how God designed it. But I'll tell you one thing. If we are not willing to actually look at who the world really is and understand what it is, we won't be able to reach them. And will get left behind I want to talk to you about a few things that categorize Gen Z which is the early 20s moving up to the 30s now Gen Z is the first generation to be born into the internet they were born with the internet who remembers dial-up that like you plug your telephone wire into it and it makes a weird funny sound for like 10 minutes and then you get like you click a picture you go make coffee Ten minutes later, you come back, the picture is half-loaded. And you know what I'm saying? It was slow. Who remembers cassette players where you put the... I remember that! How old am I, man? Where you put the pencil in the thing and you rewind it. There's this picture online. I love it. It's like Gen Z has no idea what this is. And it's a cassette player and a pencil. And I'm like, mm-hmm. They don't know why these two things go together, right? And then it was CDs and then MP3 CDs. I had an MP3 CD player. I don't even own a DVD player anymore. Like, life has changed, guys. Life has moved on. Gen Z is the first generation to be born into the internet. And it's not just that, you know, they're technologically advanced. They have all the information of the entire planet at their fingertips, and they've always had it. I remember I used to have this thing called Encarta 97. It was a disc. And I used to put it into the computer, and an, an encyclopedia popped up. And it never got updated. Whatever was in there, if it was wrong, it was wrong for life. And I believed it was right because it was the encyclopedia, right? That doesn't exist anymore. We Google everything. Obviously, it's good. That's the way that technology moves on and life moves on. Great. It's a good thing. But Gen Z has always had this. They know everything and they're going to question everything you have to say and you best make sure your facts are right because before you've finished your sentence, they already know, actually, that stat is not right. <laughs> According to the Barna study, actually, 84% of, and you're like, oh, okay, sorry, my bad, you know, be careful. Gen Z is also the first generation to be born into a world that is aware of and taking care of their mental health. And this is a whole other topic for another day that we will talk about. We will get into this. But people have asked the question, is Gen Z fragile? Are they too fragile? Because they're always worried about mental health, and they always have something wrong, and they always need a mental health day, and what is this all about? And here's the thing, right? There is trends. There's a trend, especially now with younger people, that it's almost cool to have some sort of mental disability or disorder or sickness. That is not good, and we're going to deal with that as the church. We're going to deal with that. But it's not really that this generation is fragile, it's that they are aware of their mental health. Years past, we haven't been, it's not something that was part of our culture. It wasn't something that was part of what we were taught, something that we understood, you know, if you were sad, Take a walk and you'll be fine. You know, like that doesn't work anymore because science about the understanding of our mind and how it works has moved forward. And so they are aware and taking care of their mental health. And the church needs to understand this. We can't just say, oh, they're fragile. No, they're not fragile. They actually know something we don't know. And if we're not willing to look at it and understand it, we could get left behind check this out. This is very important. Gen Z is the first generation. It's a generation born into households that are completely unspiritual. So what does that mean? That means that Gen Zs are in households where Christianity or any form of spirituality is not normal. It's not something that's practiced. Generations ago here in South Africa, a lot of this is based on America, but really all around the world, any kind of westernized culture in that sense was always very spiritually driven. It was normal to go to church, even if it was in a religious way. People weren't necessarily saved, but they'd go to church every day. They weren't necessarily saved, but they knew about Jesus. They at least knew that the Bible was a thing. They at least knew that Jesus was a guy who, you know, died for something. I don't really get it, but I know about it. Gen Z is a first generation, doesn't know anything because their parents didn't like religion. And so when they got old enough, 18 and above, they left the church. Then they had kids and the kids grew up without church at all. And we're here in the church Speaking in a Christianese kind of way, trying to impact a generation that has no idea what we are talking about. And they don't want to come here because they don't get it. All they know about Christianity is that somehow. Some of those people are kind of judgmental. They really tell me I'm not allowed to do anything and they hate people who are different to them. They hate people who are homosexual and I don't get that so I don't want anything to do. And obviously those ideas are wrong. That's not what we believe. That's not who we are but that's what they think we are because they don't know. This is huge. And we're going to get to this idea of being authentic. And we're going to get to this idea about who Jesus was. But we need to understand that we have to engage our world where it is at. And if we don't, they will never hear the message. Gen Z is spiritually illiterate. It means they, they don't know. It means that they have grown up overwhelmingly in unchurched homes. And I'd say here in South Africa, we're probably one generation away from that. I was, uh, myself and Jenna were in Bloemfontein yesterday. Phew, it's been a, a long drive. <laughs> we drove down on Friday, we came back yesterday, and it was real. <laughs> we were there, and I was driving around, and I saw churches everywhere. And it was so exciting to me just to see there's churches everywhere. And I, I pray and hope that they're doing really well. Here in, in, in Joburg as well, you, you can find churches everywhere. In, in Buclue itself, you'll find four or five at least different churches all operating, all bringing the message of Christ. That's beautiful. And that's amazing. We're about one or two generations away from being exactly where America is now, where the entire population is like unchurched. You still find lots of church people in smaller towns. And when you get to the cities, people are not churched and they're not spiritual. They're just not because they've moved away from that. And this can seem scary, especially for us. How do we now even interact with a generation that doesn't know anything about God? It can seem scary, but it's actually a huge advantage if we will look at it with the right lenses. We have a huge advantage in bringing the gospel to this generation if we're willing to change our mindsets and learn some new ways of doing things, some new ways of communicating things, some new ways of saying things that people in the church understand but people out there don't understand. We need to change the way we say things so that young people can understand what we are talking about. I want you to see something. Gen Z has also gone through scandal after scandal after scandal, revealing moments of all kinds in all kinds of institutions throughout society. 50 years ago, 70 years ago, maybe you could put your faith in a government to say, They think and love the people. They're thinking about the state and the people, so they're going to take care of us. That is no longer true anywhere in the world because the veil has been removed and we all see behind the curtain and we no longer trust any of our politicians anymore. That's not just true in South Africa. That's true around the world. In America, it's crazy, the the politics that are going on there. The young people look at that and they're like, I don't want it. I don't want these institutions with one guy at the top who somehow seems like he runs the show, but he's actually corrupt. I'm not interested in that. I don't want that. And they're rejecting. They've seen scandal after scandal, not just in businesses and governments, but in churches as well, where pastors have thought of themselves higher than others, above others, and the generation is just not interested in that. I can even say from my perspective, I'm not interested in that. I said this last week and I'll say it again. You don't need to call me pastor. I've said this over and over and over again. I went to a, um, a conference and I won't go deep, but I was just a guy. I was just a, a white guy, a skinny white guy in jeans, ripped jeans even. And I was nothing. Until I took the stage and started talking about God and then everyone wanted to get me tea and what can I do for you and please come backstage and have the couch, have the nice chair. No, before I needed the plastic stool with three legs, but now I get the whole couch? I'm not interested in that. No one is interested in that. The veil has been pulled away. And scandal after scandal, reveal after reveal, has gotten an entire generation tired with games, with facades, with things that are not real, with things that are not authentic. And we, the church, are going to be left behind if we don't choose to be real with a world that is not interested in games anymore. People are looking for the spiritual. It's not just something people want. It's something the world needs and they know it. They're looking for it and they're trying to find it in all kinds of crazy places. When the truth is right here, the truth is sitting with you. It's in your heart. It's in your life. It's Jesus. He is life and we're looking for it. The world is searching for it and they're not finding it here because our humanity is getting in the way. Because we have fallen for the same religious trap over and over again. And I don't just mean here at this church, I mean globally, the global church. We need to remove religion and let authenticity reign in our churches. So I want to read another scripture to us. and This comes from Luke chapter 7, verse 31 to 38. And you'll find word for word this exact account also found in Matthew chapter 11. These two accounts of something that Jesus says. Verse 31 says this, Jesus went on to say, so he was busy talking and he continues to go. He says, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What is this generation like? What are they like? Verse 32 says, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees again. It's another account where the Pharisees look at Jesus and they say, There's something wrong with you because of the way you are in that first scripture we read about Matthew this is Jesus calling Matthew out he is a tax collector now what does that mean our we we don't like SARS in that day it was like SARS came to your house with a gun and broke your leg taking your money away from you right that's who the tax collectors were they were hated they weren't known as bad people they were known as sinners a tax collector is a sinner. It's a sin to be a tax collector. They hated tax collectors. And so Jesus going to the tax collector, and he does this many times, makes him strange. It makes him different. It makes him weird. And therefore, in the Pharisees' minds, it makes him a sinner. But one thing that you've got to see in these scriptures is that people flocked to where Jesus was. In Luke chapter 7, he's speaking now again to his disciples, but also there are a number of Pharisees and other religious leaders around. He's talking to all of them, and he says, what is this generation like? What, is, what are they like? And he says this thing that's kind of hard to interpret. He says, we're like children in a marketplace calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. What he's saying here is that this generation that he was talking to was completely self-centered. When it says, we played the pipe for you, it's talking about joyous music, joyous songs that they played. And they brought something there and no one danced. No one took note of what was being brought. In the same way, he says, then we sang a dirge. A dirge is a mournful song, maybe sang at a funeral. And he says, and you did not cry. What he's saying is you didn't connect with what was being brought to you. Next, he explains what he means. He says, John the Baptist came. And if you've grown up in church and you know about this, you'll know that John the Baptist came announcing Jesus. He was about six months older than Jesus was. And he first came, and he was the first one to baptize people. And he made the way ready for Jesus, the Messiah, to come and minister and Jesus had a huge amount of respect for his cousin, John the Baptist. And he, it says he came neither eating nor drinking, and you said he has a demon. So what's he saying here? John the Baptist came, and he was a bit of a strange guy. He was a different guy. He wasn't your normal person that you would see on the street. He was quite strange, but he was very removed from society. He wasn't like everybody else. And when he came, he came with truth. People rejected him and said, he has a demon. He's not like us. Then he says this interesting thing, the son of man came eating and drinking and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is the perspective the religious leaders had of Jesus. Jesus would hang out with people who drank. He would hang out and eat with people who no one was allowed to. It was this feeling like if you hang out with sinful people, you yourself become sinful. And to really understand this, we have to know who the Pharisees were. What did they look like? Well, every day the Pharisees would get up and they would dress in the finest clothes. They would go out and stand on the street corners and they would pray loudly. They would minister the word, right? They would minister God's law to the people. And they would make sure everyone knew that they were really spiritual. If they fasted, they would walk around as if they were dying of hunger. But it's all for the Lord. They looked great. They looked like perfect people. They never did anything wrong. They would never drink. They would never get drunk. They would never do anything bad. They would never do anything wrong. And when Jesus looked at them, he said, You look good on the outside, but you are dead on the inside because you are not doing this for God. You are doing it for yourself. They were fully religious, they were fully stuck. And that system that they had created of the people who were untouchable, they were the good ones, they were the right ones, and all the rest of the sinners, they had to be over there. This system that they had created had made people run away from God. Tax collectors and sinners were looking for God, but they weren't allowed a seat at the table. They weren't allowed to be there. And so they were completely outcast, and they felt far away from God. But I want you to see something. Luke chapter 15 from verse 1 to 7. I want you to see this. I want you to focus on this first verse. It says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. We're going to read the rest of this, but I want to stop there for a second. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. The tax collectors and sinners never gathered around to hear what the Pharisees had to say, but they flocked to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was authentic, he had no mask. He had no veil. He didn't dress better than them. In fact, Jesus was one of the people. He grew up the son of a carpenter. He wasn't this intellectual that came from somewhere else. He grew up with them. He was a normal person. He says he came eating and drinking. He would sit with people and would have conversations with them. He was one of the people. And because of that, when he spoke the message, people listened. People listened. We have uh, a difficult space in the church because the more we're shouting the message of Christ, the more that the world does not want to listen because it can't feel the authenticity in what we're saying. It can't see that we're just like them. We're not different. We're not better. We're not somehow more perfect. We're just the same. But we have Jesus. Jesus. And we know they need him. And if we can be authentic in this church, they will flock here just like they flocked to Jesus. So check this out. Luke 15 from verse 1 to 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Again, I mean, we're... we're Seven chapters, eight chapters later, the Pharisees are still saying the same thing. Verse three, then Jesus told them a parable. He said this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What is Jesus saying? He's speaking to the Pharisees and he's speaking to the sinners in front of him and saying, you are welcome in my Father's house. Not just that you're welcome, but God will come and find you. We as a church, It's time for us to stand up and say, we will go to the world. We will find them where they are at. And we will bring the gospel to them. Because I don't need to look better than them. I don't need to sound better. I don't need to feel better than the world. What I need to do is engage with who they are so that they can hear about the Jesus that we love. What was Jesus doing that the Pharisees failed to do? He was meeting people where they were at. He spoke to them in a way that they could understand. He looked like them. He talked like them. He grew up with them. He ate with them. He drank with them. And he showed them that spirituality is real and meaningful. It's not a show. It's not a game. It's not something that only some people get. It's real and it's necessary and it's for everyone. It's meaningful. It's not a show for perfect people. It's a home where you can be yourself. And because of this, They flocked to him. They ran to Jesus to hear his message. Right now we have a world running away from the church. But if we can open the doors and create a space where people feel comfortable to be themselves, then we can have a real impact on this world. We are authentic this church will never be religious. It's one of the most amazing things that we have been left with from our leaders over the years, that religion is not good. We don't want religion, we want freedom. We want the spirit, we want God, we want Him above all things. But religion creeps in and it makes you feel like you can't be yourself in your own church. Like you have to walk in and say, guys, yeah, everything is good. Praise the Lord, life is great. But when you go home you're crying and you're struggling and you don't know how to ask for help because at church somehow you have to show up and be there praising and dancing at the front and sometimes you just don't feel like it. Life has you hard and I want to tell you that Jesus will meet you where you're at when you come to this church. You don't have to act. You don't have to change yourself. You can be who you are because God will meet you where you are and Pull you out from that place. Come on, when we're by ourselves and we're hiding our pain from each other, we are stuck there. We ain't going nowhere. We're gonna live in that pain until Jesus comes back. But when I can open up to you and say, hey, I need your help. I'm not okay. That's where God comes in and he brings change. Where I can celebrate your victories with you where I can cry with you when you're going through difficulties. When we as the church are looking at each other and when there's sin in one of our brother's lives, we're not there telling them how bad they are and how they need a change, where they're saying, I love you and God loves you and I'm going to help you through this journey until you can find freedom because there is freedom in Christ and His life is yours. We look at a world out there that feels judged by Christians, feels like they'll never match up, never be good enough. In this church today, I know there are some of us that feel that way. There are people at home right now, I know you feel this way, and you feel like you're even asking yourself the question, where the church is for you, because you can't find your place. It's time today to remove that thing that makes us feel different, greater, better than someone else, and to meet each other where we are at. So that the message of Jesus can come through. Jesus looked at these sinners and they were drinkers. They were adulterers. They were tax collectors. They were whoever. Most of them were there because no one else even took an interest in their life. No one from the spiritual space ever even spoke to them and asked them what was going on in their life. How can they help them? Never. And so they were just left to their own devices in the world trying to figure it out by themselves. Jesus looked at them, he saw all that they did, and he just wiped all of that away and saw who God had made them to be. He sees you today just the way that God made you to be. And because of that, he valued every person he spoke to, and they could feel it. Every one of us knows when someone is around you and they're not authentic, you can feel it. You know it. When someone's trying to manipulate you, or someone's trying to force you to do something, or someone is kind of saying something, and they're saying it in the right words, but you can hear what the undertones are like. We know it. But if we can choose to be authentic about who we are, open, honest, and real, then this generation that's not interested in the games, not interested in the the behind-the-scenes things and the people in power, they will find authenticity here. And they're not just going to find a church, they're going to find Jesus. Not the Jesus of Christianity, Jesus. Our God, our King, the shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one. They're going to find him because we make the space open for them to come. And I'll tell you this church, sometimes that will make you feel uncomfortable What about that person that comes into church and they still smell like the night before when they were out partying? Are you fine with that? What about that kid in youth who you know is taking drugs with his friends out there, but he's coming to youth to get the message and you're worried he might influence your child? Who needs the message? The righteous or the sick? The sick need the message. And we're so scared about what's in the world infecting us that we won't even go there. Come on, let's break the spirit. The world can't infect you. You are full of the spirit of God. You are full of his power. You are full of his life. It cannot touch you. It cannot corrupt you. Let me tell you something. If there's something in the world that's attracting you and you're feeling tempted and you feel like going there, come chat to us. There's nothing wrong with you. We're all human beings. There's a reason the world loves what the world loves because it's in our human nature. it's okay let's deal with it together we can walk together but don't be afraid to take this message to the world Jesus was not afraid he touched the leper because he knew that when the kingdom of God comes the darkness flees the darkness does not overcome the light the light overcomes the darkness And when we choose to be authentic, authentic with each other, authentic with God, real about what we actually feel, what's really going on, real with each other and real with this world, God moves. And people flock to that. They want it. They want this Jesus. And so what does this mean for us? We are authentic. This is who we are. Point number one of our culture code. What does that mean for us? It means that you are free to be you. In this church, you are free to be yourself. And if you don't really know what that is, because let me tell you something, the world also tries to box us into little boxes and little packages by saying you dress wrong, you think wrong, you are wrong, and you find yourself trying to fit into the pattern of this world. Come on, if you don't know who you are yet, God knows who you are and he's gonna reveal it to you and you're gonna find that here. You are free to be you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's who we all are. We're all in that same place. Number two, we are open and honest. We don't want to hide things. We don't want to hide from each other. We don't want to hide from our families. You know, the relationships that are strongest and last the longest are open relationships that speak about the issues. We've got to think about that the same way. We're a family here. We are a collective And we need to be open to each other. Number three, we actively seek to remove religious barriers to people. As a church, we are actively looking for anything that might be a religious barrier to someone finding Christ. And we're getting rid of it. It's going. I'm not interested. The Spirit will reign. The Holy Spirit will move. His home is here. Religion has no place here. And anything that gets in the way of someone finding Jesus, it's going. Number four, we actively seek to understand the world and how they think. Jesus understood his generation. And because of that, he created something that has lasted 2,000 years and will never fail. 2,000 years from now, 10,000 years from now, we'll still be talking about Jesus because he created something that will last forever. He understood his generation. And so his words go generation to generation. Number five, we welcome those that are not like us. In this church, we welcome those that are different to us. On purpose, you are welcome here. You don't have to look like me. You don't have to sound like me. Because the danger is going the other way. And now we have to all think you know, in a certain direction, in a certain way. No, be you. If you're different to me, I believe that makes us stronger. I believe that makes us better. You are welcome. We welcome those who are not like us. And finally, we worship from a place of authenticity. No masks, just real humanity seeking God with all of our heart. Whatever is your challenge, whatever is your joy, whatever is your life, We worship from a place of authenticity. We don't need to sing the perfect song. We don't need to sound like the perfect singer. We don't need to be perfect for God. We just have to be real. When our worship is authentic, we're not here singing songs, but we're worshiping God, that's when His power comes. That's when His life flows. That's when the world who has no idea what church is all about will feel something that they've never felt anywhere on the planet. But they'll feel it here because God's power moves on those who come wholeheartedly to him. Beautiful. That's what it means for us. From this day forward, I want every one of us to embody this idea. We are authentic. That we're authentic about our joys and our triumphs. We're also authentic about our failures and our difficulties and our challenges. That we'll be free to say, hey, I need help in an area. I'm I'm struggling. I'm not doing okay. Can someone help me? That we'll be ready to help someone who asks us for help. That we won't see ourselves higher than others, especially those struggling in sin or addiction or habit or difficulty. That when someone walks in through these doors, they experience a real community that loves God and loves each other truly. And you know, a family will go through difficult moments. There will be challenges. There will be moments that we have to work out. That's okay. That's part of being authentic. Those moments when there are fights or strife, it's okay. We're going to work it out. And on the other side, we're going to be stronger than we ever were. And we're going to impact our community. Let's pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, we ask you right now, That you would come and reveal to us that spirit and that thought that was in Jesus. That Lord, when you were on this earth and you laid aside your divinity and you became a man just like every one of us, you decided in that moment not to show your perfection, not to lord your perfection over any person. Even though you were perfect, you were sinless and spotless and perfect in every way. You decided that you wouldn't use that as a tool to lord over people, but you came to us where we were at. You found us where we were at and you brought the message of hope to us. I pray today that you will give us the exact same heart. That lord, those who are stuck in religious mindsets may even look at us and say we're going down wrong paths or going down the wrong way, but Lord, we know that we are bringing the life of Jesus to a lost and dying world. I ask today that, Father, you will give us confidence in who we are, that you will give us confidence in who you've made us to be. I also pray for those who have never really known who they are, what it means to be a Christian and to have life in you, and I pray that you will lead us on the path to knowing exactly who you made us to be. I ask this morning that you will make us real, authentic, and full of your life. Right now, Lord Jesus, connect us, unify us. As we're going through this series of what it means to be in this culture, our culture code, that Lord, you will unify us with one heart and you'll make us authentic and real in front of everyone. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give a round of applause to Jesus just for a moment? He is good. Just for the next few minutes, I want to pray with you if you have never met this real and beautiful and powerful Jesus. And so right across this room, will you just get alone with God for a second? I want to give you an opportunity. If you have never given your life to Jesus... I want to give you an opportunity to do this. Because all of this, it's not about a religion. It's not about being a Christian. It's not about um, being a perfect person. It's all about a relationship with God. Now ask the question, why did Jesus come? Why did he die? All these stories about Jesus. He came and he died on a cross and he did all this effort. He made all this effort. Why did he do that? Well, he did that. Because he wanted to restore a relationship between you and God the Father. See, sin separates us from God. When we're in that dark place, then we are removed from God's light and his love. And in this world, that's exactly what's inside of every human being. A brokenness that separates us from God. And God wants to remove that. So what he did was he paid the price for you and for me. Jesus came and he did a once and for all sacrifice that sets you and me free, completely free. And what that does is it removes the separation between us and the Father And we can have a relationship with him, not just one where we have to bow and worship him and kneel before him, but a relationship where we see him face to face, where he connects with us and he speaks to us. Just like Jesus on this earth came and found people where they were at, God comes to us and he finds us where we're at. And every day we can walk that life, that relationship out with him. That is our God. And that's why Jesus died on that cross. That he can, can come in and change us from the inside out. And maybe you've never heard of this Jesus. Maybe you've never heard him spoken about in this way that you've never known God to be like this. Well, today I want to give you an opportunity to meet that Jesus and to make him the Lord of your life. And so right across this room, will you bow your heads, close your eyes, get alone with Jesus. We're going to pray a prayer together and We're going to trust that God is going to move in your life. So as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you want to give your life to Jesus, unafraid and unashamed, will you just raise a hand? This is your time with Jesus. Say, that's me. I want a relationship with him. I want to be with Jesus. I see that hand. Thank you. You can put it down when you're ready. I'm going to give an opportunity just for one or two more minutes Anyone in this place, don't let an opportunity go by. If that's you, just raise a hand for a moment. It's an act of saying, yes, God. I see that hand. I see it. I see it. Beautiful. You can take it down. That's beautiful. One more minute. Anyone else in this place, you want Jesus? Amen. Amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let's pray together. Everyone, we're going to pray this prayer. If you raised your hand or you want to just pray this prayer, pray it from your heart. Pray truly and follow Jesus. Let's pray together. We say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today just as I am. All my faults, all my failures, and all my victories I give to you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me my sins. Wash me clean. I give my life to you today in Jesus name. Amen. Can you give a round of applause to every person who prayed that prayer? You just made the best decision you could ever make. We're so excited with you. There's a brand new life that is yours today because God will change you from the inside out. At the back of the church, we have a space. It's called Jesus, What's Next? Some of our hosts will be there. that will just talk to you, help you on the next steps of your journey. If you are new to church, then you, they'll help you understand what to do next. We have a whole course around that, and we'd love to just connect with you and help you on this journey church we're stepping into something new and powerful i believe this church is going to be more influential more powerful more um influencing on the world than it ever has been before and we're going to do this together we are collective so let's do this together in jesus name thank you church Hey everyone, we have now come to the end of our message and we would love to hear from you. So there's a few ways that you can contact us. You can either drop a comment in the chat below or you can visit our website which is www.collective.org.za and you can contact us from there. We just want to thank you for joining us again today and our messages come out weekly so we'll see you again next week.